Welcome to Breaking Banks, the number one global fintech radio show and podcast. I'm Brett King. And I'm Jason Henricks. Every week since 2013, we explore the personalities, startups, innovators, and industry players driving disruption in financial services. From incumbents to unicorns, and from cutting-edge technology to the people using it to help create a more innovative, inclusive, and healthy financial future. I'm J.P. Nichols, and this is Breaking Banks. Today's episode is a deep dive on financial empowerment at a global level. Earlier this year, Finastra commissioned a study to look at how financial institutions can help their customers transform their relationship with money. One of the unique aspects of the study is it took an ethnographic approach to understand how ordinary consumers feel about their money, their dreams and concerns, and what they believe about empowerment. Joining me today out of the UK is Mary Connor, Finastra's Vice President for Strategic Engagement in Retail Banking. Mary, let's not pull any punches. You know, this report I found fascinating on a number of fronts, but one of them is you know, it's pretty clear about how consumers feel uh, that banks treat them and one of the false assumptions they make. And why don't we start there? Can you unpack the false assumptions that banks make about their consumers? Yeah. Um, so they assume that they have a certain level of financial understanding. And what the report shows is that that is off the mark. And actually, when we went across around the globe, the levels of concern about their understanding, their financial understanding, were more or less the same, whether we went to APAC, um, the US, Europe, uh, Middle East or Africa. And it, it averaged around that around about 45% of those that we surveyed felt concerned about their lack of financial um, understanding. And the other thing it highlighted was that just because consumers are engaged on digital apps doesn't mean that they're engaged with their banks. That's a different thing altogether. Yeah, I was surprised at the level of consistency across geographies, but was also a little surprised that it was only 40% felt, you know, concerned or uh, around the finances. Can you drive into, you know, some of the other data that surround that and how people actually, you know, on a qualitative level express what does that concern mean for them? I think what it uh, actually there was two things. One was concerned about the lack of financial understanding. The other was about whether they worry about it, and yeah. the worry percentage was higher. Right. So as you said, it is a qualitative study as opposed to most studies are quantitative, and the difference is that a qualitative study actually amplifies in stereo the emotional and functional aspects of the consumer's behavior. Whereas in a quantitative, it's very binary. Yeah? You just kind of get yes, no answers. Whereas in this, you're getting them to emotionally articulate what it means to them to be feel financially empowered. Well, and that really stood out to me, the difference that this was an ethnographic approach as opposed to you know, the more survey quantitative approach. Can you tell a few of the stories that came out in terms of what does empowerment mean? And you know, does that feeling of empowerment change based on geography? It didn't really. And actually, that was quite interesting. It was more or less the same. But probably what does change uh, based on geography, and this is primarily due to COVID, is 
the the need to be more financially empowered but generally speaking what people were saying was I don't feel financially empowered because I don't really understand my bank and actually they don't understand me and if I don't feel empowered then I don't feel in control and if I don't feel in control then I don't I don't have the freedom to actually achieve my aspirations to achieve my objectives you know whether that's starting up a business or buying a house or a car or schooling for my children so all of those things came out of it it was amplified in certain regions by the pandemic so if you look at parts of uh, Africa in particular um, it became a more emotional response because of the pandemic yeah and do you think those effects are going to be long term like did COVID actually just highlight some systemic issues right they just really shined like a bright light on top of this absolutely it absolutely did it has just accelerated the need for digital and cloud capabilities it's something that has been rumbling away in the background for a few years now but this is really you know it's it's lit the fire if you like because with home working remote working um, banks cannot manage disconnected processes, paper processes, and that has a knock-on effect for the consumer. It means the consumer doesn't get as good a service as they should. Also, for a number of years now, banks have had digitalization as a priority, along with a couple of other items. So, I mean, regulation is a given, yeah, and having better analytics capability is another one. But the digitalization one's been top of the agenda, but they've been very slow to move. And what COVID has done now has accelerated that move. So we see an uptick in the demand for digital capabilities, and that can only be good for financial empowerment and the consumers. Well, you know, there are some that are doing digital well, and those would be the neo and challenger banks, you know, that have come that are you know digitally native. Are they doing a better job of this? They, by and large, they are, but they are not the only ones. So, if you like, I can give you a few examples of banks that are doing something really, really well. So, just let's start with the digital banks. The digital banks have got had a clean sheet of paper, right? So they haven't to deal with any sort of legacy. Um, uh, real estate, yeah, and yep. they can just move forward unencumbered. And but what they tend to do is they focus on niches and they do something very, they do it simply and ergonomically, which is what consumers want. Because with established banks, they, um, if you look at a lot of established banks' websites, they started designing them at the advent of the internet, and they haven't really evolved them, you know, very much since. So they still look cluttered full of text, not inter- not interactive, not appealing to any of us, you know, really any of us, regardless of age, and I'd be one of the elder lemons, and I would say, I don't find them engaging at all, never mind, you know, a 20-something-year-old. Um, more like a digital brochure than anything else, right? And, and I was actually really problem. struck by um, the quote from Julian in Germany that design is not how something looks, but how something works. I thought that was very well articulated. <laughs> I wonder if Julian is actually, you know, a designer or something. Cause I think sometimes that's what's missed when we talk about digital and this idea of user experiences, it needs to look pretty and modern. Yeah, absolutely. And this applies in other aspects of life, not only to banks, because I see it with hotels and that they'll show you loads of pictures of food. I don't want to see pictures of food. I want to see what the room looks like, what the bathroom looks like, what the socializing areas. If you go into banks website, what you want to see is 
what products are relevant for me? You know, where do I go for this? But it is so, like you said, it's so cluttered with stuff. So I'm going to give you an example for me of what good looks like. If I look at um, Revolut, you know, which is a European yep. bank, and they, they are appealing, you know, what we said about the, the consumers that we surveyed didn't feel financially empowered. So one of their strap lines is budget sm- smarter and never overspend again. And so when you go onto their website, this is one of the things that hits you first. Well, if I'm feeling financially insecure, this is good. This appeals to me. This tells me, gives me confidence. Another example, Tonic Bank in the Philippines. Um, this is a new digital bank that Finastra got up and running uh, very recently. It's hugely successful. The first uh, digital bank in the Philippines. And you go onto the, the landing page of their website and it says, fall in love with savings. And it talks to you kind of in very familiar, very personal language. I actually, I really liked it and I've never seen that before. Then I go down to somewhere like South Africa. Time Bank is a wonderful bank and it's extremely popular in South Africa. And it is another one of these neobanks. But then on the established bank side, probably the best I've seen is Bradesco in Brazil. And I encourage you to go on and look at their website because you can use Google Translate to understand what they're offering. And, and one of the things they say, and actually this is one of the things in the report, one of the report is uh, when they do the mind map and they have their seven ob- objects that actually represent what they want to achieve financially. On the Bradesco website, it says, the landing page says, simulate your dreams. It's almost like it's a match for the report that we did. And, uh, and I really like that. It's really interactive and it's more than just banking. Yeah. Well, let's talk for a second about the mind mapping. So I found that is a fascinating, you know, approach to understanding, you know, the true emotion. Can you talk about what the mind map was? So the um, people that we surveyed and um, so were across, like we said, like across all the regions. Yeah. And um, they had to bring seven objects uh, that represented for them what would what would financial empowerment mean yeah so um for one of them it was uh, a ring in other words they'd be able to afford to get married yeah for another uh, lady and this was a, a lady in uh, south africa she had these fat cakes that was one of her objects and that's because she wanted to build a business around making cakes. Yeah. And so she needs to be financially empowered by her bank to enable her to do this. There was a lot of them had car keys in them where they wanted to get a car or they had a brochure of a house. So they showed that they want to get a, a mortgage. So it was actually getting them to represent what was going on in their feelings by way of objects in their lives. I I found that part fascinating in terms of what it helped pull out is this concept of personalization, which is at the the very center of the framework that you you outlined. Can you talk a little bit about the role of personalization in empowerment? So I think personalization, the lack of personalization is why um, consumers feel uh, disengaged from the bank. So going back to what I said at the very beginning, they might have all the digital apps, but they don't feel engaged. Yeah. And this is partly because of personalization. And certainly in my experience, and I bank with one of the 
top 10 banks in the world. So they have deep pockets. They have all the capability to deliver a personalized experience to me. Do they? Heck, no, they don't. You know, they're, they're offering me at my stage in life um, mortgages, whereas a friend said to me when they should be offering you a grant for a hip replacement. <laughs> and that, is, <laughs> that, is, that is a joke. But the thing is that they have all the data on me and they still don't personalize it. And, and I see this across the board. So there's a number of things they can do, right? They can embrace uh, open banking so that they can... Um, pull in data off your accounts, but also if you wanted a mortgage from other mortgage providers to help those people wanting to buy a house, they could um, use contextualization, which a lot of them don't. Um, They could also, they must embrace analytics, yeah, because they have a huge amount of data within their organization, but they're not tailoring it to the end consumer. Hence, I get offers for things that are completely irrelevant for my stage in life yeah and that's across the board for everybody I talk to uh, younger folk in Finastra and and they're experiencing the same thing oh absolutely I you know actually laugh at when I get an offer from one of my credit card companies it's you know congratulations your personalized offers have just arrived and I look at what those offers are I'm like do you even know me you know, yes. what do you think that these are my personalized offers? It's actually off-putting. Now, yeah, I'm yeah, curious, yeah. You, you know, when we look at the financial institutions that are sitting on mountains uh, of data, why aren't they doing more with it? I, I honestly don't know. That is a conundrum for me, especially as I, you know, I regularly and have done over the last five years, looked at the investor relations part of banks' websites. And it's been a consistent uh, objective. Um, amongst many of them, to have better digital uh, and analytics capabilities. So this is why I think now that COVID has uh, arrived, this will help speed this up. I think one part, for established banks, I think it's it's harder because they have data in disparate places, because they have uh, a conglomeration of systems that's, you know, uh, an infrastructure that's evolved over the years that's a bit messy. However, Knowing, as I do, the analytics capability that Finast provides, there's no reason why they can't combine data from various systems and and still give that predictive, prescriptive um, experience. Yeah. So building on the personalization, you know, there were four steps in your framework, the next being around knowledge or education. Where does that begin to fit in building on top of personalization? So I think that they have to, it's about the, uh, for me, it's uh, about the ergonomic experience. Yeah. So going back to my example that established banks, because they've evolved their internet since the advent of it, um, it's very cluttered. Things need to be simpler, cleaner, you know, expressed in language that people understand so that then they can engage better. So they absolutely can do that. Uh, And and just having a process that is that is like I said very ergonomic that one step triggers another, but very clearly and very simply. Yeah, well, and that leads us to step two in uh, this pathway to empowerment that you outline is control, and what goes into control. Yes. So what goes into control is that they need to provide better apps, you know, so things around budgeting. So I go back to my uh, example of um, Revolut Bank, you know, 
and uh, savings and, you know, uh, budgeting and they're encouraging to foster budgeting. So they're going to provide tools to enable their consumers predict their spend and be able to actually um, configure that app so that it focuses on the areas of spend that they are typically involved in, whether it's gym or groceries or schooling or whatever. And this helps empower people because then they can clearly see rather a statement is a very flat thing you have to you know weed through it if you have an app that actually segregates it out for you surely that's got to be a far better thing yeah and that speaks back to the personalization and that brings us to step three which is really around freedom and you know can you define the freedom aspect you know both what did the survey respondents say, you know, what does that mean in the context of a financial institution? I think it's kind of the, the, almost the opposite side of the worry factor. You know, if you're worrying, you don't feel free. You feel encumbered with thoughts and, you know, fears effectively. When you are empowered in terms of, you know, whether it's open banking, whether it's digital apps, yeah, whether it's clearer, cleaner, um, I suppose, engagement from your bank, then you feel more confident. If you feel more confident, you feel freer. I mean, that's that's life generally, you know, and it's as true of banking as it is of life. Yeah, yeah we had a um, product designer also coincidentally from the UK on last year and was talking about sometimes the best experience is a non-experience. And that's what I kind of pull from what you're <laughs> saying, right, is if I don't worry about my money, that may yes. actually be the best experience, you know, with my budget if I don't have to think about it and worry about it. Well, you know what? That is so true. And I can, and when you have an experience, uh, uh, you know, whether it's mobile or internet, right, that is so seamless, you almost don't know what's happening, you know, then that is, a, by and large, that is a good experience. And, you know, some, I don't want to mention any travel brands, but one or two of them have got that down to a fine art. And banks could be doing something similar. Yeah, absolutely. And so last, you know, the, the fourth step in the journey is really about the empowerment. And so how did the survey respondents talk about empowerment? What does empowerment mean to them? Empowerment it meant to them, well, it meant simplicity hmm. uh, so that they could understand, because going back to one of my original comments that a lot of them says that they don't really uh, understand what the bank is telling them. So uh, definitely uh, simplicity. Also being able to see where they're having those spends. So going back to those budget apps, having those. Um, they wanted to, a lot of them talked about charges and going to neobanks because they weren't being charged or if they were being charged, it was very transparent to them, whereas they found that with established banks, it was less so. So these are all contributing factors to them feeling uh, empowered. It's not one thing, but it seemed to be, you know, like a potpourri of things that they they felt would help them feel, yeah. get that freedom feeling. Yeah. yeah. Now, speaking of freedom and freeing things up, I was pleasantly surprised at how open banking worked its way, you know, into the middle of the report and that there was actually more awareness from consumers than I expected, right? Like I live in a bubble of fintech and banking nerds that we talk about open banking, you know, as readily yeah. as the Olympics. What did open banking mean for the survey respondents and what's their take on it? 
I think, well, this, this, this is interesting. So they were aware of it. I think that a lot of them didn't really understand a use case that would be useful for them. And we've seen this uh, in, in many jurisdictions. So I think open banking is ultimately going to be good. I think that banks haven't been very good at promoting it and promoting the benefits of it and giving you know, precise use cases that will illustrate those benefits, you know, and one of the best ones I heard was where they pull in, was, was about the mortgages, where they pull in data, you have a mortgage, they pull in data from other mortgage providers and give you a comparison and therefore give you a choice. And that's enabling you and then it's empowering you. So that was one use case, it's one of the most useful use cases I've, I've heard. How do consumers respond when it comes to that trade-off between there might be some benefit, but what about my privacy? Majority of them were, were not worried about their data. They kind of feel it's all out there anyway. And the other thing is they seem to trust these uh, big, um, either whether it's telecoms or cloud providers, they kind of feel that they're all using, you know, Snapchat, Instagram, you know, Facebook already. So their data is out there. So they didn't seem to be, they seem to be less concerned about that. So let's talk about trust for a second. Do What did you learn about trust? And do these customers trust their financial institutions? Do they feel differently about the challenger banks or digital only? I think they feel that the digital banks give them an easier ride for the simpler transactions in life, but they still trust the established banks, I guess, because they've been around for a long time. They see them as big institutions, you know, a bit like a big rock foundation to your house. So they would still use them for probably main life events, you know, like mortgages, for example. But for their day to day living, they seem to be more leaning towards the, the new banks. Well, and there was an interesting, you know, learning related to the how the incumbents feel about both the trust they engender and this idea of they're reachable as it relates to branches. Did you yes. have other findings related to how, you know, this digital only versus the, the role of the physical world is manifesting itself? So a lot of them were were didn't see any need to ever go into a branch of a of a bank. Yeah. And so and what we're seeing, you know, particularly in Europe, is that, you know, the branch network is shrinking. Um, my personal opinion is it won't go away totally because uh, banks haven't figured out how to um, digitalize uh, some more complex um, processes or use cases. So, you know, thinking about how in a divorce situation or in a bereavement situation, you know, or other, you know, key life events. They haven't figured out how to automate that. So people will still need to go into branches for that. But I see it'd be more like a hubs of established banks. Yeah. And of course the digital banks are not concerned about that, but they have, I don't know ultimately what they'll do if that arises, but then they're mainly dealing with individual consumers rather than businesses and joint accounts. Yeah. So let's talk about the path, right? Because we're nowhere near kind of that utopian state you just described. What mm. should financial institutions, incumbents begin to do now? What are those foundational investments that they need to start making? Well, they definitely need to invest in, in, in channel capability and they need to be 
I would say they need to be measured in that investment because what I've seen these past 10 years is there's been a lot of vanity projects. And actually, people don't want that. They just want simple, straightforward engagement uh, with their banks. So definitely on the digital side, they also need to connect up their digital layers to their back end so that there will be a seamless experience because that has a knock-on effect to the, the consumer ultimately. And they do need to invest in analytics and contextualization capabilities to enable that personalized experience and have that magnetism that will draw the consumers to their bank. Yeah. Well, and I think that flow of you need greater access to the data and then you need the level of intelligence and automation to deliver the personalized experience that it isn't about building the you know, everything in the kitchen sink, right? I love that idea of simplicity and cutting yeah. it down versus the clutter. Versus the clutter, yeah. And also giving um, giving some power to the consumer so that they can configure their apps the way they like them, the way they like to see them. And we and we see that, and we are we well we're doing that at Finanza. We're enabling that. Well, and you know that goes back to left to their own devices. Consumers, especially, aren't going to you know build their own entirely, but they love this idea of configuration, right? Like I, I want to rearrange it just a little bit to match my needs and how I'm going to use it, you know, most often. Exactly. I, if we all think about how we use our laptops or our PCs, every one of us has done some configuration of it so that it looks, whether it's your, you know, your home screen or your screensaver, that it looks like you want it to, the backdrop colors, et cetera. So, you know, and then they will do the same with banking apps. Yeah. So before we run out of time, you know, if you were within an incumbent financial institution beginning this journey, what's the one piece of advice you would give to you know, get them moving down the path towards better empowering their customers? I, th- I think they need to, well, I, definitely they need to embrace better analytics capability and they do need to deliver a simpler digital experience. So I think rather than trying to do multiple things, if I were established banks, I would absolutely focus on declutter. I would be decluttering my channels, definitely, and make them more attractive and more interactive, you know, and I go back to the Bradesco, if Bradesco can do it, any established bank uh, could do it. For the um, challenger banks, so the new kids on the block, well, you know, they may have their own challenges down the line because they're going primarily after niche markets. So when they want to diversify, they will have to think long and hard about how they do that and where they want to go into, where they want to invest their money. But for established banks, definitely for me, the key word would be declutter, invest in analytics and digital capabilities. Well, that decluttering, right? Like that is such a brave step to take. You know, with the banks that we talk to all the time, it's they're afraid of missing, you know, someone. So they think if they pack more into it, right, the shotgun effect, well, someone might like that feature or find, you know, that might resonate, that it takes real courage to actually strip things out. Uh, absolutely. Um, but when you go to some of them, you can't see the forest for the trees. And the very thing you're looking for is the thing you cannot find, you know. So they need to use more graphical capability and less text. Yeah. Yeah, and I think if they do that, then that would be a really good starting point. So 
if any of our listeners want to um, find a copy of the report or learn more about this and the approach, where can they find these resources that Finastra has commissioned? So we can find them on um, www.finastra.com. And if you want to look at some of the fintechs that we engage with, because we have our own marketplace platform on Microsoft Azure, encouraging innovation for those banks who really want to consume it, then they can go to www.fusionfabric.cloud. And there they will see the fintechs that we are engaging with and that are helping banks with those digital experiences. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Mary. And thank you for commissioning this survey and really bringing a level of personality to what can be very dry when we talk about empowerment and consumer behavior. I found the stories fascinating and love the quotes and just the entire approach of you know using the mind mapping. You know, that in itself, you know, breaking away from the herd was a brave step taken by Finastra. Well, as was, I think it, it gives a nice stereo feedback from the uh, from banking consumers rather than the traditional sort of mono feedback. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for being on the show. Okay, it's a pleasure. Thank you. That's it for this week. If you like the show, make sure to give us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform or share it with a friend or share it on social media. We'll see you again next week with more Breaking Banks.